Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. This episode is sponsored by Akbar's Delicatessen. It's not a sandwich, it's a wrap. Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural episode of A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, where we discuss the many weird and interesting ways that geek culture collides with the law. I'm your host, Ben Siders, and with me here is your other host, Kirk. Kirk, yep. say hello to the people. Hello to the people. That's Kirk, just like the captain of the Enterprise, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so this is our first episode, and we're going to be talking about, uh, like I said, all the strange ways that the law collides with geek culture. Uh, as you figured out by now, Kirk and I are uh, lawyers. Being a lawyer kind of by default makes you something of a nerd. Uh, I would say even for uh, for lawyers, Kirk, uh, would you agree you and I tend to the, the nerdy side of the spectrum? No, I think we definitely tend to the nerdy side of the spectrum. I think the one, we're intellectual property lawyers and particularly patent lawyers, and I think that even tends towards the nerdier side of the spectrum and particularly to the science fiction side of the spectrum. Yeah, for sure. So, so Kirk and I uh, talk a lot about geeky stuff at work. We work at the same law firm here in St. Louis, and uh, we often find, you know, being lawyers, it's a it's a busy job. There's not enough hours in the day, and uh, we don't get to talk about geeky stuff nearly as much as we'd like to talk about geeky stuff. And so we we bounced around the idea of having a podcast where we get to talk about geeky stuff. The problem is there's a million podcasts talking about geeky stuff. Uh, so we needed some way to differentiate ourselves, and we thought, well. We're lawyers, and uh, believe it or not, this kind of stuff actually does come up from time to time at work. Yeah, and this is something that it's, when we started, came, originally came up with the idea in order to do this, we were realizing we were doing it at work already. We'd sit down, we'd talk about something that we'd seen in popular culture, we'd seen something pop up on the news, and you know, we're suddenly you know downloading trailers onto our phones and talking about whatever the next <laughs> you know movie coming out is, and then suddenly we were transitioning from that into the latest Supreme Court case on something. Um, and so we thought it was a really interesting thing that we tended to you know, run from geeky culture straight into legal topics. And so we started raising this with some friends of ours and just seeing whether or not there was any interest in talking about how legal issues oftentimes arise in areas of geek culture and in surprising areas, I think things that people aren't entirely ready for. Um, yeah. And we were surprised that, that people seem to be interested in this. They seem to be interested in the clash between, you know, where was you know science fiction audiences, where were gaming audiences, what was you know, sort of going on, and how did that then tie into various legal topics, many of which are also in the news. Yeah, I think at first we were kind of thinking, you know, are, are we getting a little too ahead of ourselves? Like, is anybody really going to want to listen to, you know, a bunch of lawyers talk about nerd stuff? Does but anybody like really want to listen to a bunch of lawyers? Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, you know, we kind of shopped the idea around, and uh, everybody said, uh, yeah, this sounds like something I'd listen to. So here we are, uh, long story short. Uh, one thing we're not going to do here, we're not going to be applying real-world legal ideas to the fictional universes of these franchises. So there's actually a podcast out there that does that already. Uh, I think it's called The Legal Geeks. Is that right? Yep, that sounds right Yeah, um, I've, I've checked them out. They're pretty good. So if, if that's what you're into, uh, go, go take a look at what they do. They seem to have that covered really well. Uh, but we're, we're going to do something different. We're going to uh, talk about applying real-world law to real-world situations that involve these franchises and, and sort of the geek culture things that, uh, that, that we love so much. Uh, and and strange, strange things happen. Like, so we're going to talk today, I think we're going to cover movie trailers, uh, the, the Rogue teaser One trailer. trailers. Yeah, teaser trailers. The, the Rogue One trailer in particular, we're going to talk about you know um, the elements of that that would be covered by IP versus not. I think next episode, we're going to talk about what happens if somebody, so you'll love this, what happens if somebody travels back in time 
and discloses the blueprints for their time machine, and then somebody tries to patent it in the present. Believe it or not, this has happened. And it sounds impossible, but it has happened, and this is one of the few times we're going to have an actual answer to the questions we're going to raise. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about, and hopefully it will be interesting. So next episode, we're going to talk about time travel, or if you believe in time travel, the prior episode, we're going to talk about time travel. That's right. But we'll get to that when we get to it. We should also say, in a time-honored geek tradition, this is our first episode, which naturally means this is episode four. Of course it's episode four. You can't have episode one until after you've made the first three. Right. We'll get to episodes one, two, and three in about ten years. So, okay. So, uh, I think we'll get started into the, the meat and potatoes here. We can definitely do that. So, the I think we're going to start today and we'll talk about something that, in some sense, was the genesis for why this whole thing sure. started. Um, and that was us sitting around and watching the Rogue One trailer. Um now, admittedly, you know, Rogue One is definitely sort of, you know, not immediately new geek news right now. Um, I know I just bought it on DVD. Um, yep, so did we. So it's, it's been out for a while. But it's one of those things where we, when we, the trailer first comes out, and I think most people are this way, you have to go, you download the trailer, and the first thing you do is you start analyzing it. You get on YouTube, you pause it every 10 seconds. You're trying to figure out exactly what it is. And it's particularly to with a treat teaser trailer. And... It's one of those things, and I, I've commented about it before, and Ben knows this as well. I'm a huge fan of teaser trailers, and I love teaser trailers because they don't tell you anything. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I enjoy them, but like if, if you've seen Rogue One, first of all, we'll put, the, we'll put the teaser trailer link, the original one, in the show notes. Uh, but go back and look at it, and you'll notice that there's a ton of scenes that aren't actually in the movie because they did a bunch of reshoots and change, like how it ends. Um, so, to me, a teaser trailer is synonymous with lie. Like, <laughs> what's in there is not actually in the actual movie half the time. Like, they will shoot scenes for the teaser trailer that they never intend to put in the movie. It's just for, like, cheap one-liners and whatnot. So, I'm always skeptical about teaser trailers. I can understand that. One of the things that I think is funny, though, is that when you go back and you watch trailers and you watch teaser trailers sort of over time, um, I mean, a lot of people hate the movie, but I'm a huge fan of Independence Day. And part of the reason I actually like Independence Day is I love what they did with the trailers and all the way they did the trailer. One of the great things is to go back and watch the White House being destroyed scene in that trailer because it changes in every trailer because they originally hadn't put the helicopter That's in right. it. Um, and so it's sort of some great, you know, things like that is sort of where you see the changes and I think that was part of it. The other thing with Rogue One, especially with the teaser trailer, if you've seen the movie and you've gone through the movie, a huge number of the scenes from the Rogue One teaser trailer are not really in Rogue One. There's right. scenes that are essentially a flashback or a flash forward we don't entirely know yet in Rogue One. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast a year from now, you may know what those scenes actually refer to. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you, you get a lot of just sort of, you know, you're not quite sure exactly what's going to well, happen. What's, what's interesting about it is if, if you go back and watch it, when it doesn't open up with anything that's overtly Star Wars, there's no characters that you recognize. Yep. Um, there's some very minor characters. If you're if you're a huge nerdy fan like we are, you might recognize, for example, uh, the Rebel and Imperial uniforms. There's some some base settings, some vehicles, some ships from prior films. Uh, Yavin next week, Four, next week yeah. In the background. So if, if, if you if you know your Star Wars, you'll know what it is instantly. Even though, for the most part, there, I mean, there's some iconic imagery, right? There's a Star Destroyer, I think, at some point. You see the Death yep. Star. Everybody knows the Death the, Star. The Star Destroyer is like halfway through it, and that's one of the right. things that's sort of interesting about the fact is most of the early stuff you see, and particularly like the first shot, the very first shot when it's going in, 
you know, you're introduced to a character who you've never seen before. Um, and in the background is simply, you know, a, a rebel trooper. It was identifiable because of those lovely helmets that they used in conjunction with the original Star Wars. So one of the questions Kirk and I always kind of, one, get asked by by friends and family uh, who are seeking free legal advice and uh, and just kind of run into a lot on the internet is fan fiction and, and universe protection. And what, you know, what can I and can I not do with these existing franchises? So Rogue One is an interesting case study in that because, one, it's not really titled Star Wars. I think they tacked a Star Wars story yeah. onto the end of it eventually, but the movie is, is marketed as Rogue One, so they don't use the Star Wars brand name. And then they don't use a lot of the, you know, Darth Vader winds up being in it. We find out, spoiler alert, Grand Moff Tarkin is also in it, uh, as is another character I will not name, in case you, <laughs> in case you possibly haven't seen it yet. Um, but there's there's nobody, nobody recognizable, really. So the, the question we kind of had is, could, how, you know, how much can you do here? How much could you do as a fan or as an independent filmmaker making a film clearly set in the Star Wars universe, but not, you know, infringing or offending any intellectual property belonging to uh, Lucas uh, film? Yeah, and this, is a, I mean, that's a topic that I'm particularly interested in as well. I actually wrote a paper on it and gave a presentation years ago. Um, discussing the idea of how exactly do you protect universe um, and is universe protectable by copyright, which at this point in time I think is a very open question and a very sort of confusing area of, of law because you bump into a lot of fans who want to make something that really isn't canon. They recognize the fact that this is not supposed to be part of the Star Wars universe. That's also why I think Rogue One is a good place to start in conjunction with this because Rogue One clearly is canon. It's set so that it takes place immediately in front of Episode Four. Well, I mean, it's clearly episode- sponsored by the people who brought you Star yeah. Wars, right? There's no question this is an official Star Wars film as opposed to a film offered by some third party. Yeah. So that, that that addresses the trademark issues right away. Who, who's providing this and are we infringing any trademarks? And even then, like the question is, could you make a film? Could you call it Star Wars and just say, this is not by Disney, this is not by Lucasfilm? I think you're still going to get sued, but yep. um, could you do that? What do well, you think? Well, that may be a topic for a future podcast. It's obviously the Star Trek film. Oh, yeah. Coming out that we can you know talk about in a future podcast in conjunction with that, but a lot of it and and the reason why I think Rogue One is a really useful topic to be talking about in conjunction with it as a starting point as well is exactly your point that you said earlier. It's not really marketed as Star Wars. We're used to seeing Star Wars marketed as Star Wars Episode One, Star Wars Episode Two. Um, you know, even in many respects, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi used the Star Wars marketing. Rogue One was indicated as Rogue One, mm-hmm. and then they sort of tacked on a Star Wars story. And one of the things when, when we did a, a, a prior sort of discussion about this, a small one, uh, we can put the link to that as well on the uh, in the notes for this podcast. But one of the things that we thought was very interesting about it is they never actually mentioned the Star Wars name until the very end. Yeah, now, part it doesn't of that, appear anywhere. Yeah, part of that, I think, is because it's a teaser trailer. They're trying to tie you in. They're trying to sort of connect you into it. But they, you, we all know it's a Star Wars movie from, mm-hmm. you know, a minute in, you know, a few seconds in, in most cases. So let's let's talk about what aspects of the trailer itself, setting aside the film. If we were to make like a like a, because people do this, right? I've I've been fooled several times by fake episode eight fan trailers already. <laughs> in fact, I called you into my office to watch one. I was all excited about it. it turned out to be nothing. Um, so, uh, but so what's 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 copyrightable 
in or what does a trailer use that would infringe uh, Lucas uh, Arts, Lucas Film, sorry, Lucas Film copyrights? There's obviously the Death Star is imagery that belongs to them. There's no question. Yep. Star Destroyer imagery that belongs to them. But what about the characters? The only character I can think of from the trailer that's even remotely recognizable is basically Mon Mothma, who is never named in the original trilogy except in the credits. I, I don't think. And in the toys. Yeah, and, and I don't think even, even some casual fans may not remember her from Return of the Jedi. She doesn't appear in episode four or five. So is is that character strongly enough defined to merit copyright protection? And that really is uh, the thing we're talking about here. And and the the interesting legal issue we're talking in here is what's called character copyright. And there is sort Which of neither an, one of us like. <laughs> it's it's an interesting area because basically what it is is it's an acknowledgement that there there needs to be some kind of a protection when you create a character. And we're usually talking about famous characters in conjunction with this. Superman, for Superman example. is a perfect example in conjunction with it. You know, you probably could say Darth Vader qualifies. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, Harry Potter, we're talking about major characters, characters that are immediately recognized uh, by fans and by essentially everybody else. The one thing that I think is very interesting when you get into it is most of the legal scholarship in conjunction with character copyright tends to focus on how well-defined the character is. So they look at it and they say, okay, these are well-defined characters, these are not well-defined characters. Um, a lot of times, and it's, it's in the stuff that I, would, I, I did a presentation, like I said, on this years ago that I, I focused on, is you get the impression that you need to have a well-defined character. It needs almost to be like a lead character, a named character, something along those lines. This raises another interesting question. If the standard for character copyright is how well-defined the character is, and I would argue none of the characters from episode one (laughs) qualify for character (laughs) copyright. I'm not sure we want to talk about episode one yet. We may turn off our entire audience audience immediately. Okay, so forget I ever mentioned episode one. (laughs) Let's pretend that doesn't exist for at least a little bit. We may get into episode one sometime in the future. But... What about a character like Saw Gerrera, who is played by Forrest Whitaker in in the new movie, in in Rogue One, and he also appears in the Star Wars, I think the Rebels cartoons, I haven't seen them all yet, Um, but I think he looks differently there, the voice acting is different. Is that character well enough defined that you could use him or you could not use him without infringing a copyright to him? That's a tough question. Yeah, and that's that's really the problem with a lot of these. When you get into the law, you bump into questions where they say, hey, you can't get a copyright on an archetype. You can't go through and say, hey, look, we're just going to you know get a character to the overly rebellious rebel, which in some sense I think defines Sagarera. Um, but you can potentially get a, character, a copyright in a specific character. There's also a recognition that characters can evolve over time. Mickey Mouse has changed over time in his appearance. I know one of the, the sort of uh, cases that's involved um, changing characters over time is the Eminem guys. Oh, yeah. Um, and the fact that they've changed in appearance over time. So you bump into this issue of the idea of what does it really mean to be a character? What does it mean to copy a character? And what does it mean to be a well-defined character? A lot of times, and this is the issue where I think you see a lot of fan fiction, a lot of fan fiction wants to focus on the areas of a storyline that have not been well discussed. Well, they want to have a Mary Sue, right? They want to have a little a little avatar of themselves in the movie or in their in their story, uh, yeah. do, doing all the awesome stuff. Yeah, and they kind of want to get they want as so they want to explore the dark corners. I think a lot of times is what fan fiction gets into. You know, you go into sort of famous you know backstories and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Let's get all yes. the way back to Shakespeare, <laughs> which and, fortunately is public domain. So yeah. <laughs> Issues aren't quite as applicable, but but when we get into the idea of that, you know, it's exploring the idea that they're they're bit part characters in conjunction with Hamlet, and yet there's some 
something which they created an entire storyline around having to do with the gap that existed in conjunction with Shakespeare's work. And that's what just a lot of fact fiction is very interested in. What is the backstory of these characters? Essentially, by definition, and I think it's, it's a good place to choke out because this is episode four um, in conjunction with us. That means there's three episodes that came before that nobody has any idea what's in them. And, you know, I remember hearing that George Lucas talk about the fact that that was part of his idea. He needed the story to start in the middle. He didn't want it to start at the beginning. Didn't he have like a nine-episode arc at some point, and then like episodes six through nine got condensed into Jedi? Yeah, well, there's, you know, point. Shadows of the Empire, which right, is, you know, became right. a novelization between them because it was the first half of, of Return of the Jedi. Um, and yeah, there's just there's a lot of sort of issues in conjunction with how do you how do you deal with what these when when these characters sort of become important enough and how do you deal with their background? And that's the thing with Rogue One. Rogue One is particularly focused on exploring an area of the background that isn't discussed. We know when we watch Episode Four that these spy the plans have been captured. Yeah. They mention it in the first 20 seconds of the movie. Exactly. You know? They have the plans. They're obviously running from a Star Destroyer. It's the first thing we see when episode four opens. Where do they get the plans from? Who are these people? Why are they here? Now, a lot of that is introduced in conjunction with episode four, but a lot of it's left open. And that's where you really get into a lot of these disagreements of, of the law is looking at it and saying, how much of this is, you know, LucasArts' right to go forward and say, hey, we want to write this story versus when you get into somebody and says, hey, you haven't written this story. We'd kind of like to write this story as fans. Well, that, that's kind of the whole point. This is why, Kirk, I mentioned earlier that neither one of us are big fans of character copyright. I think, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we both agree it's it's a, a poorly defined doctrine to deal with what the real concern is. And the reason that character copyright exists, which, by the way, is also why Disney's so concerned about Mickey Mouse and copyright extensions, uh, cop- character copyright exists so that somebody who's a third party can't come in and make a new work using the same characters. That One, they don't want you doing that and making money off of it. That should be their money, obviously. Yeah. But I think the bigger concern is quality control. You know, If a fan comes along and makes a film and reuses a Mickey Mouse or a Superman or, or a, a Luke Skywalker and makes a really low-quality, crappy film with... Uh, you know, a, a lousy plot, or or takes it in a direction that's not within the tone or the theme. Because you know, the Star Wars films all have a, for the most part, maybe Rogue One notwithstanding, a generally lighthearted theme. <laughs> well, in Episode Three, but you know what I'm saying. There's a, a sort of a feel to these films, and and when you have a fan who goes in a different direction with it, it you you risk people potentially not really appreciating that this is not something that Lucas Arts or Lucasfilm would have put out, uh, and and getting confused and perhaps misassociating the third party work. With with the official work, and that can you know reduce the value of the franchise, particularly if this kind of activity is just largely uncontrolled, yeah. and you have a whole fan group out there just making all of the all these works. And that's I mean it's a good example. I think you can even get beyond that of not just even the quality of it, but people potentially damaging it on purpose. Um, I mean let, let's face it, people are going to make third party pornography yes. related to these things. That can be a problem, particularly when you start talking about something like the Star Wars universe, which is intended to be a family universe. It's intended to be somewhat family friendly. I mean, yeah, you look at it and say, yes, Rogue One is kind of dark. You know, Episode 3 is kind of dark. At the same time, you know, these are not R-rated films. Right. You know, these are films that are designed for, you know, families to go to. You know, they may require some explanation, but... 
it's it's something that's out there. The concern being that that's uh, you understand the need for protection. Yeah, because you don't worried about want these things happening. They're worried about dilution. They're worried about tarnishment. They're worried about confusion. They're worried yep. worried about uh, uh, you know market power. At these the same are, time, those are all trademark. Those terms. are all trademark concerns, not copyright concerns. Exactly. So we have this character copyright doctrine that's kind of shoehorned in to deal with uh, uh, trademark issues, and that's really what where universe protection comes in. You're more concerned about protecting the the trademark to the universe. So, for example, the Let's just use the word the force, right? Yep. I mean, first of all, it's a physics term, right? <laughs> yes. And 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 second of all, Mass you know, velocity. Could does Disney or, or or Lucasfilm have any right to any trademark rights in the force? Now they did market a series of toys under power of the force, but could I just make a film called May the Force Be With You? You know, is that is that sufficiently trademark? What goods or services have they offered or sold under that brand name? I can't think of any. Yeah, I don't think of anything that specifically is going to be associated with the force. I mean, maybe wrong about that. I'm not hugely yeah. into the toy. No, me either. But now, else, now but you're back to the the dilution and those kind of arguments. So tra- even trademark doesn't seem to be a complete solution to how you how you cover universe protection. Yeah. And I think where we wound up with this is trade dress is probably the best match. Yeah, and that's uh, what we really wanted to get into in conjunction with this is the idea of trade dress. And what we originally talked about as a legal term in conjunction with Rogue One and the trailer was how Rogue One, the trailer, and in many respects, many teaser trailers, particularly for sequels, are perfect examples of how trade dress is used. And for those of you who don't know what trade dress is, I oftentimes refer to trade dress as effectively trademark light um, yeah. <laughs> or something along those lines. So trademarks, uh, trademarks is a specifically recognition of it. So it's a symbol. It's a word. It's something that's specifically associated which marks a good or service. Trade dress is kind of a recognition that you may recognize the trade dress from something. It's look and feel, right? It's look like, and feel. I yeah. don't want to see it. If I, you know, if if, if you if you've ever seen one of these fan films, like every every film student, the first thing they do is animate a lightsaber fight involving themselves. Right? <laughs> and if you've seen one of these, even if you've never watched a Star Wars film, you know what it is. It's a lightsaber because yeah. it looks like a lightsaber. Yeah, and that's exactly true the idea behind trade dress. Trade dress is exactly look and feel, and that's the legal term that oftentimes gets used in conjunction with trade dress. What you really see in conjunction with trade dress and the way I oftentimes refer to it is the fact that trade dress is how you always know when you're in an old IHOP. Yeah. Um, because it used to be all those old A-frame buildings. I don't even know if they really even use those anymore or how long it's been since they used those. But it's one of those things where you always know that that's what that building used to be. And that's because that's very strong trade dress. I've oftentimes heard it described as it's the, if I you know, you know, know, blindfolded you and deposited you in a McDonald's in Tokyo. You'd you know you know, were there. Yeah. You, you know you're in a McDonald's. You wouldn't know you're in Tokyo, but you know you're in McDonald's. When I worked in IT, we had a uh, uh, an old Wendy's restaurant right next to where my office was. And it had been uh, you know sold and converted into just like a, a mom and pop. Mexican place. But it was the weirdest looking thing. Like you drive up and you're like, this is Wendy's, but it's not. They serve tacos. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the kind of thing with it. So when we looked at it, we sort of looked at it and said, really, that's what you see in conjunction with Star Wars. And when you really look at the Rogue One trailer, you really see the trade dress. And again, the great thing about teaser trailers is teaser trailers in many respects focus on that almost exclusively. The idea is they're trying not to tell you anything. They're trying not really to tell you what's going on. You know, Which is Rogue- a little risky, right? Because if you don't establish enough what you're doing, then do you have trade dress rights? Because it's not like you can just go file an application somewhere with the government and say, here's my trade dress. Trade dress rights are acquired over time by exclusive use. Yeah. And and that's the thing that's, uh, and again, what you really see in conjunction with trade dress in conjunction with the trailer is the fact that people immediately establish that this is a Star Wars movie. It's set in the Star Wars universe. There's an assumption it's going to be Rogue One when you first see it because of what it is. But we've also seen people make fun of that on purpose. I mean, the best one in the, I think the best example that's out there is when all the stuff was happening in conjunction with the Star Wars prequels, you have Austin Powers (laughs) make a trailer 
purposefully trying to look like a Star Wars trailer and then essentially, you know, spinning the chair around for the Emperor and having it not be the Emperor and suddenly sort of being in your face about it. Well, Kevin Smith did that too. He had the, I think it was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, had like a whole lightsaber fight and Mark Hamill was in the movie at the end. Uh-huh. Like, and I'm pretty sure they, uh, I think Chris Rock has a line, George Lucas is going to sue somebody. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he never did. But yeah, it's those kind of things sort of with it where you see this kind of playoff trade dress. Now, a lot of times in trade dress, you're not supposed to do that um, because that's the idea is that you're supposed to recognize it. Now, in some sense, those have done it purposely in tug-in-cheek. They probably don't have a lot of issues with it, but that's part of the legal question. And that's, I think, where we get going, and, and maybe that's a good place to sort of get into the end of our, our first episode here. Well, one question I wanted to talk about is, is this really a problem? Like, like I said, there's a ton of fanboys who've made home movies of themselves on lightsaber fights. Doesn't seem to have diminished the appetite of the public for Star Wars. <laughs> well, and that's that may be the biggest issue you get into in conjunction with all of this is just simply how how much do we worry about this? You know, as lawyers, we can look at it and say, this is what the law is. But ultimately, there's a business side of this. And that's how much is the owner of this copyright going to enforce it? Um, the problem you bump into, and I think this is the thing as a fan when you get into it, is you almost bump into kind of a, a no harm, no foul kind of doctrine, yeah. which is if they're okay with this, you don't have a problem. If they're the not okay with it, you do. Too, right? Under economic breach, like, is, is it, does it make any sense to enforce these rights? Like, so you have a fan person who has made like a, a fan film or what are you going to do? Are you going to go seek an injunction and get and, and sue them for infringement and collect your, your hundreds of thousands of dollars in statutory damages? No, they don't have anything to pay a judgment anyway. And okay, so you get their YouTube video taken down. So what? There's, there's 20 million people who want to see themselves fighting with a lightsaber. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't get them all. So yeah. is it worth going after any of them? And that's that's really, I think, the, the most important thing to take away from this in conjunction with fan fiction. And and I think that's a good start for where we're trying to go in many respects with this podcast and discussing yeah. the real-world issues. This is an issue that has no easy answer. No. And, Trust us, we've tried to find one. Yeah, and and that's <laughs> the thing that I think is, is, is really valuable to get into, which is people are looking at this. A lot of times people get on the internet, they'll get out there, and they'll say, oh, there is an easy answer to this. It's a per se rule. You've only stud- taken so much. Yeah, if anybody like that. ever says that on the internet, they're wrong. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I think there's very We're few per We're going to do a whole episode rules. on like internet law myths, so we'll, we'll cover all that at some point, and there are many. But the, the thing that you, know, you really have in conjunction with that is that you have these difficult issues and the idea that there's no easy answers. And that's what gets us involved in conjunction with that's this. That's what makes and, it fun to do our jobs. Yeah, it makes it fun to do our jobs and also gets us involved in these discussions initially, which is what is the answer to these? There is no answer. And when there is no answer, doesn't that make discussing it kind of just interesting in and of itself? So that's, that's a lot of where I think we're going to go and where I think we hope yeah. to go. And unfortunately, so on that, on that note, next week's episode, we actually do have an answer. So for next week, we're going to talk about, I don't know if we're going to do weekly or not, we haven't decided yet, but uh, for our next episode, at least, we're going to cover time travel and what happens if a time traveler uh, uh, brings, a, brings a blueprint for a futuristic device like the time travel device itself back in time, and then somebody tries to patent it. Like I said at the beginning, this has happened, and so we actually have an answer to what the patent office will do with that. Um, so that's uh, for next time. On that note, this would normally be where I think we're going to try to take uh, questions, comments. Uh, I'm sure we will have many corrections from the very astute uh, listeners who have found all the things we've said that are technically incorrect. Exactly. Well, we're geeks um, in this area. Yeah. We're not like the, the ones who can scour every source yeah. available out there. So if I refer to correct those people us. as, oh, uh, as a well-actually guys. You know, well-actually. <laughs> so if you're a well-actually guy, please feel free to well-actually us. We will, we will offer corrections. 
so we can be found on our Facebook page, which we are still setting up, uh, but it will be available soon. And our Twitter handle, LGGPod, that's L-G-G-P-O-D on Twitter. Feel free to tweet at us, send us questions. Uh, we uh, fully intend to answer those on the air as best we can. And I should say at this point, in case it's not clear, this isn't really a legal podcast. I mean, we're talking about law stuff because we're lawyers, uh, but we're mostly just fans. We're mostly just geeks that like to talk about this stuff. And so we're coming at this primarily from a fan perspective. So while we'll be happy to answer questions uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, if you need legal advice, you should consult a lawyer, uh, possibly us, possibly not, depending on what you need and whether we're qualified. But the point is, we're not giving you legal advice. We're just talking about fun things, geeky things that happen to involve the law. And speaking of geeky things, one of the things we'll tell you for this episode, and it's not going to be something we're going to go into as a while, you may have noticed we had a sponsor in the front of this we episode. We have a sponsor for our first episode. We're very excited. Yep. And one of the things to have on there is we'd like to have people call out and see if you can figure out why our sponsor sponsored this episode. Um, is we're probably going to have different sponsors for every episode, and that's part of the goal is uh, to see for the fan engagement. Can you guys figure out why this particular sponsor sponsored this particular episode? This week's episode should be pretty straightforward. Yep, this one should be pretty easy for most people to figure out. But some next, of the, next one will be a little more obscure. Yep, some of the next ones may be a little but not quite as clear. All right, anything else to cover, Kirk? I think we're good at this point in time. All right, well, thank you all so much for listening. We really hope that uh, this was interesting and informative, and hopefully somebody who is not uh, uh, an obligatory guilt listener that we know has actually downloaded this podcast and listened to it. So if that's you, reach out, let us know, tell us what you think. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, wherever else, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be in those places. And, um, you know, give us a shout, leave us a review, let us know, let us know if you like it or hate it. Yeah. All right. That's it. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri.